following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of Acts. And I want you to look at the screen. You see this picture of a puzzle, one piece about to be placed. And it says, Meaningful Membership. I have, for some time now, been struggling with this idea, more of a belief really, maybe a conviction, just... The thought that perhaps we don't fully understand what it means to be part of a church. Maybe we don't understand some of the details. Maybe we don't even really understand the uh, necessity or the importance or uh, the critical nature of why the church even exists as a group. And so the more I've studied, the more I've read the more convicted I've been that we may, not, um, we may not fully understand why it's so important for us to be not just here, but be connected, be part of a church. Here's what I've observed in a different context. You know when this nation was founded over 200 years ago, And there were certain reasons why the nation was founded. There were certain reasons, maybe motivations that inspired a group of people to break away. And we need to do something different. This is not right. And it was founded on a set of principles and ideals, right? We've had class in school. We've had civics, American government. We we have studied U.S. history, I hope, and we're we're understanding. Yeah, hopefully we we've studied history because you know the old saying. It's attributed to Winston Churchill, but I think someone else actually said it. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Right. So when this country was founded as a new nation, a, a new sovereign nation, it had certain principles and ideals. And that was in the late 1700s. Now, we're in 2022. 240 plus years since the founding of the country. Have we maintained as a nation the ideals and principles on which we were founded? How far have we Drifted. Now, hold that thought in your mind right now. When was the church founded? Where did I ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning? The second chapter of Acts. That was a lot longer in the past than the nation in which we live. How far has the church drifted from the ideals and principles on which it was founded? 
if we can track through historical activity and events how far the nation may have strayed from its foundational principles, how much more may the church have drifted? And, and how much more important is it to understand the original intention of the church? Not just for what the church is to be and to do, but who's in the church? Who makes up the church? What should those who are members of the church, and I'm talking about every Bible-believing, Christ-following, Christ-honoring local church, which make up this universal church of all believers of all time. What, what should we be doing? Because surely our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has not left us without a witness, right? He's not just left us to figure out what to do. Quite the opposite. He's left us with very specific, particular instructions. So, we turn to Acts chapter 2 from verse 37 to verse 47. And I'd like to read those verses at the end of chapter 2 and then give a little context as introduction. So, I'm going to read the text. It's not going to be on the screen. So, whatever... Uh, Bible you have with you. There's a Bible in the pew. You may have it on a, a mobile device or a, a tablet or whatever. Follow along in the Scriptures with me, please, from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. And then I will go back and fill in some, some background so we can fully understand what we're about to talk about. Here's what Luke was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard this, and I'll, I'll get to that this in just a minute. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I should say, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 39, For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words He testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted His message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, please help us. Please 
teach us. Please speak to us. Please give us understanding. Please be gracious and merciful to us. Give us the gift of conviction. And as I just heard prayed last week by another pastor, if you do nothing, oh God, nothing will be done. So I pray you will do something in us, through us, for us, but for your glory above all. In Christ's name, amen. Now, allow me to give you some background. You have to go back to really understand those verses we just read. If you want to understand the full picture, you have to go back to the middle of chapter 1. And if you want to keep your Bible open so you can kind of flip around, I'll try to reference some verses. I'll try to help uh, to, to show where these things... I'm not just making up a story here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go straight from the text of Scripture. What does it say? What does it tell us? So here's the thing. When, when we read our passage, we first start with this phrase, when they heard this. Well, what's the this? What they hear? Well, ultimately they heard the Apostle Peter preach a powerful message sharing the Gospel from verse 14 down to verse 36 of chapter 2. That's the full message. But in the immediate context, in verse 36, here's the culmination of the Gospel story. Here's the, the, the climax of what Peter was preaching to all these people that were gathered in Jerusalem. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Lord and Christ. And so that final statement in that sermon, the first sermon of the early church, look at the response or the feeling of the people in verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? So here's the first principle. And I apologize. for I didn't know where, how to, other than being really lengthy, how to really delineate all these points, the principles that we're going to see. So there's no outline on the PowerPoint. I just want you to, I want you to tune in and just listen. I'm going to try to share what God has put in my heart about the church for us to know. They heard this. They were pierced to the heart. So the first principle here is when you hear the Gospel, it demands a response. The Gospel demands a response. Now, you may think, well, what if I don't respond? Well, then you just responded. Let me... Let, let me clarify how that works. If I share the Gospel with you and you say, well, not right now, I'm not sure, you have effectively said no, at least for the time being. Okay? So, there is no, I'm not sure, let me think about it. There is no uh, middle ground. When you hear the Gospel message 
And the Holy Spirit is either working in your heart or not yet to work in your heart, or maybe we're ignoring what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in our hearts. Whatever the case may be, if we don't say yes to Jesus, we have said no to Jesus. And that is so critical to understand for the, for the, the, the obedience to the Word and the good of the church. When, when these folks heard the Gospel, they were pierced to their heart. And they immediately said, what do we need to do? We can't just do nothing. We have to do something. And Peter said, repent. Be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, the response to the Gospel. Now, we should go back and do a little more background to understand who we're talking about here. Who is they? We talked about the this, Peter preaching, that last statement in verse 36, but who's the they? Now, this is when we go back to chapter 1. So you look all the way back to verse 12. This is immediately following the ascension of Jesus. And so after that happened, it says they returned. This is the apostles and you read from verse 12 down to verse 14, you see this group. You see the apostles, which are now 11. Remember Judas Iscariot? He has gone his way because he betrayed Christ. And it says in verse 14, it lists all the apostles who are left, the 11. And then it says they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So you have a group. And then you see in verse 15 who this group is, or at least how many there are. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. Okay? So here's what we have. About 120 people gathered up in a room, in an upper room, praying because all this stuff has just happened. Jesus has lived, died, was buried. He is risen. He's now ascended. And they're all huddled together, so to speak, praying. And their first order of business is, well, Judas is gone. We need to replace him. So they choose uh, Matthias uh, to be the twelfth apostle. He's been with them the whole time, apparently, and they, they bear that out in Scripture. And so, after choosing the replacement for Judas, you get to the end of chapter 1, and you see in the first 13 verses of chapter 2... This is what they're doing. They're together. They're praying. Now, that's the people who are already a part of the church. Okay? Because when Pentecost comes in chapter 2, it says they were all together. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. They hear a violent rushing wind, a, a mighty sound. The Holy Spirit appears like divided tongues of fire above them. The Holy Spirit falls on this group. And immediately, what do they start doing? All the apostles, they go out into Jerusalem and they start preaching the Gospel. Now, here's the, the miracle. The miracle is there are people from every nation gathered in Jerusalem. Multiple nations, multiple languages. And it says in Scripture here in the first part of chapter 2, if you read from verse 5 on down, they, the apostles were preaching. So not only two miracles, 
the apostles were preaching in multiple languages through the Holy Spirit. The people were all hearing the message in their own native language. So God was supernaturally communicating the gospel to all these thousands and thousands of people. So, now you get an idea who's here, what's happening, and here's the reaction. If you look at verse 12, chapter 2, they were all astounded and perplexed. And they said, what does this mean? But, look at verse 13. Some sneered, doubted, made fun of, and here's what they said. Oh, well, they're drunk. They're drunk on new wine, verse 13. Now, let me pause just a moment to interject some human commentary. Anybody ever seen somebody who's drunk? I have. I've seen a lot of people who've been drunk. And years and years and years ago, before I was following Jesus, I was right in there amongst them. Let me tell you something I know about drunk folks. You know what drunk folks do not do? They do not speak with greater clarity when they're drunk. They don't make sense, usually. Their words are slurred. They're not articulate. They don't make much sense. And they certainly don't speak in multiple languages and tell the truth of Jesus Christ. So I'm just here to tell you this is complete nonsense. This, this is when someone responds to the Gospel and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God in this way, it is clearly, this is convicting me, I don't want to hear it, uh, I might have to respond. So I can assure you none of these folks were drunk. They, they might not be, uh, as uh, Paul would write in Ephesians 5, they weren't filled with uh, wine, they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what was going on here. So they weren't drunk. They were speaking by the power of God. And they were speaking the truth of God. Now, now that we kind of see where we are and who's doing what, and you see the context, after the Gospel is preached and they responded the way they did, here are some things we need to know about the church. We need to know who's in the church. How do they get in the church? Why are they in the church? What's the purpose of the church? All right? Those are the kind of questions we're about to answer in short order. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through these verses and you will see, I pray, you will see with great clarity the truth that's right there for us to see. Okay, I don't even have to, it's almost like I don't even have to, to prepare this message. I just have to read it and explain it. It's right there for us to see. The people heard the gospel. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied. So now here's the response to the gospel. Repent, turn from your sins. Be baptized, publicly profess, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, who is this gospel truth directed to? Who's it for? Verse 39. The promise 
is for you, is for your children, is for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know what that means? The gospel's for everybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. How are they? Remember, Paul would write in Romans. How are they going to call on the one they hadn't believed in? How are they going to believe in the one they hadn't heard of? How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't preach the gospel? How are they going to preach the gospel if they're not sent? That's the church. We are a sent people. Now, back to the text. That's who the promise is for. Everybody. And verse 40 says, With many other words, He testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt, or crooked, perverse generation. Now, this is the most important verse in this whole passage. Verse 41. Because as we dissect this verse, we're going to see the foundation of the church. So, those who accepted His message were baptized. Let's stop right there. Who is a candidate for, baptize, uh, for baptism? For baptizing. Those who have accepted the Gospel. So what does it mean to accept the Gospel? It means to believe in Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ. So those who heard and believed in Jesus Christ were baptized. Now, what is this baptism deal? I am so uh, just I can't I can't express my gratitude to Jesus for putting Brittany's baptism on today. This was not planned. I, I've been I've been dealing with this scripture for six weeks. And we just scheduled her baptism two weeks ago, roughly. And, and God put these on the same day. We just saw a picture of buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. That's a picture of the burial of Christ in the tomb, the resurrection of Christ on the third day. This is the Gospel message. Those who receive that message, that truth, and surrender to Christ, those are baptized. Now, what's the purpose of baptism? It is an outward symbol of an inward transformation. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has come into someone's heart and life and transformed them, changed their way of thinking, and beginning to change their way of living. And that is a public profession. Jesus has worked in my heart. That's what baptism is all about. It doesn't give you salvation, but it shows that Christ has done a work of salvation in your heart. That's what it's for. It's a testimony. So, those who accepted His message were baptized. And what is the result of that? And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So let's talk about that for a minute. Who added these about 3,000 to the church? God did. God did. You know how I know that? Because it's the message of Christ in the Gospel, which is a message of God Almighty through His Son. And those who receive the message and believe it and surrender and repent of their sins are then 
baptized. And so God has added people to His church. Now, look at the last word. Them. Who's the them? Well, remember back in chapter 1? The, about 120 people gathered in the upper room, praying. The Holy Spirit comes down and falls upon them. And that's the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And so these 3,000 were then added to the 120. The point is, there is a clearly designated group of people. Now you might say, okay, well that's great. Well why does that matter? Well here's why it matters. In all of creation, God has marked out for Himself a people. A people that is representative of Him. So how does one become a part of that clearly designated group of representatives of Christ? Well, here's how. We just, we just read it. Somebody preaches the Gospel. The story, the good news of Jesus. Those who hear that truth of Christ and receive that message, accepted that message, and then they surrender, they repent of their sins, and then having believed in Christ, they are baptized publicly proclaiming their allegiance to Jesus. That's how you get into the body of Christ. So why is that important? Here's why. Everybody, please don't miss this. Everybody who claims or proclaims the name of Jesus to be a member of the family of God is also by definition saying, I have heard the gospel. I have believed the Gospel, and because of believing in Christ by faith, I have repented of my sins, turned away from my sins, I have surrendered to Jesus, I'm following Him. Therefore, I've been baptized to let everybody know I belong to Jesus Christ. He bought my freedom with His blood. And so, from this day forward... I am commissioned to represent Jesus to the world. That is a big deal. Church, listen here, I'm going to make the argument right now. Church, the local church, the visible expression of the family of God, church for the Christian is not an option. It's a command. It is an absolute necessity. I, I have people tell me all the time, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but I just like, you know, I don't, I don't really like the, the organized church. I don't, I don't go to church. I don't, I'm not a part of a church. Really? Well, then are you really a Christian? Does that hurt anybody's feelings? I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not. Not at all. Not at all. Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible, God's Word... God Himself never, ever intended for someone 
who claims to believe in Jesus Christ, having repented of their sins, surrendered to Him and following Him daily. God never intended for anyone like that not to be connected to His church. That's not in His plan. That's not in His plan because the Bible says very clearly right here in Acts chapter 2, that day about 3,000 people were added to them. It doesn't say about 3,000 people uh, believed in Jesus and went on their merry way. That's not what it says. They were added to the church for a purpose. That's why this is called meaningful membership. It, It means something. Now, if that's who the church is, what does the church do? If that describes you, if you have heard the Gospel, if by faith, by the grace of God, you have believed the message of Jesus Christ, and so you have surrendered, you've repented of your sins, and then you've been baptized to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, what are you supposed to be doing in the context of the local church? Verse 42, they devoted themselves. You know what that means? That means I'm not holding anything back. I am devoted to these things. And and look at verse 42. I'm devoted to the apostles' teaching. Look at number two. I'm devoted to fellowship. I'm devoted to the breaking of bread, which is not just eating meals, it's the Lord's Supper. It's communion, it's reminding ourselves of the body and the blood of Christ. And then, I'm devoted to prayer. Those things, the, the church, those who were added, those who had accepted the message of Jesus, believed by faith, surrendered, repented, got baptized, publicly professed, now they're added to the church. And here's what they're doing. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and so if that's what they're devoted to, what is the consequence of being devoted to those things? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 43. Because they're devoted to those things, everyone was filled with awe. Wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. All the believers were together and held things in common. They were selling possessions and property to meet the needs of those in the family. They devoted themselves, there again, verse 46, to meeting together in the temple. They they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And they ate their food from... uh, They broke bread from house to house, eating their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, that's a description of what the church looks like when the church as a whole is being obedient to verse 42. You see that? It's a progression. Verse 42 says, if you're a Christian, then you're a part of the church. If you're a part of the church, this is what the church does. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to breaking of bread. They're devoted to prayer. And 
when the entire church, when the whole body is devoted to those things, then from verse 43 to verse 46, those are the things we can expect to be happening when we are devoted to what God says we should be devoted to. Does that make sense? Here's the plan. Here's how you become a member of the church. Here's what the church does. And here's what you should be able to expect and observe when the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. Right? It's right there. Now look at verse 47. Here's the final implication of the church being the church. And here's how I know that it's God who adds people to the church. Verse 47. And the Lord added to their number every day. But who did He add? Those who were being saved. Folks, I, I, I know I, maybe I'm a little intense. Maybe I, I don't know if I'm talking louder than I normally do. I don't know. But here's what I do know. This is so important. This is so important. The church is not a club. The church is not a social gathering. Now, do we have social gatherings? Absolutely. You know why? Because the church is devoted to fellowship. Not because we're just hanging out and we don't have a, a bigger purpose. The church is not a country club. You don't pay your dues and reap your membership benefits. That's not how it works. Unfortunately, that's how uh, many times uh, some churches seem, from the outside perspective, seem to operate in that manner. That's not how it works. My evangelism professor back in seminary used to say, the church, this is so good, the church is not a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. If, you're, if you think you've got your act together and all your stuff is good, this is not the place for you. The church is for broken sinners who need Jesus. They need to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. They need to know the truth of the Gospel that Jesus came to this earth and took on a human form, lived a life free from sin, making Himself the perfect sacrifice. Then He willingly, voluntarily, gave up His life, was tortured, brutally beaten, and then killed because that's what we deserve. He took our penalty on the cross. He bore our sin debt. And then He was killed, buried. Then on the third day, He was raised victorious to life. And He ascended into heaven after showing Himself for 40 days, proving He was alive to many witnesses. 1 Corinthians 15 details the whole, the whole list. And then He ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 after saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then He went back to heaven and He took His rightful spot at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the Gospel. That's the truth that when we hear it, 
when we understand the truth of that story, the Bible says in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you become a member of the church. That's how you're added to the church. And then when the church does what the church is told to do, then God does miraculous things. Signs and wonders. Things that we have lost sight of over the years that almost maybe believe that they don't even happen anymore. You know why? I fear it's because many churches are not devoted to the things God tells us to be devoted to. We're devoted to some things. Last night, if you were in my house, you might have thought I was devoted to football. Or to blood pressure medicine, depending on what game you're watching. Grief. But here's the point. If you believe in Jesus, if you've heard the Gospel, well, everybody here just heard the Gospel. So here's the question. What are we doing with that? Are you pierced to the heart? Are you compelled? I need, to, I need to do something about that. I can't just hear that and just walk away like nothing happened. Am I a member of the church? And before I answer that question, maybe I should back up just a bit and say, what have I done with Jesus? Because that will probably answer the question for me about being a member of the church. What have I done with Jesus? When I've heard the Gospel, have I responded in repentance and faith? Have I turned from my sin? Does that mean perfection? Absolutely not. But it does mean the Holy Spirit is redirecting your goals in life. Changing your want-tos. And saying, hey, you might, you're going to trip and fall here and there, but my goal is I'm following Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to fall short, I'm going to fail, and He's going to pick me up, and I'm going to keep going. I won't be perfect till I get to heaven. But while I'm here, I'm going to push, press on. Press on toward Jesus. So, so what are we doing as a church? How have we responded to the Gospel? How have we understood being added to the church by a credible profession of faith in Christ? By baptism. What comes after that? Read Acts 2.42-47. through 47. Plaster it on your wall. Read it every day. What are we devoted to? And here's, here's where we're going next week and maybe in more, in more um, clarity. Do you know why many churches don't 
or can't or won't practice biblical church discipline? Because if we try to follow Scripture and say, hey, you have... There's sin in your life and this is, not, this is not good for you. This is harmful to you and we love you and we don't want to see you go that direction. Please, please, turn from your sin. Come back to Jesus. That's what church discipline looks like. You know why many churches don't do that? Because there's churches everywhere. And oftentimes, rather than confront their sin and deal with it and seek forgiveness from Christ, many people will just look at you and say, Fine, I'll just go over here. I'll just go to a different church. And they take that poison of sin, take it from this congregation, go insert it into another congregation. So now that poison has gone over there. Unrepented, undealt with. You know, the ultimate end of church discipline, if there is no repentance, we'll get to this next week, is... The church as a whole gathering around an individual trying to show love and care and compassion saying, please, please turn from this sin that's hurting you. And the Bible says in Matthew 18 that if they will not repent at that final stage of church discipline, then the church has to say to that brother or sister, look, we love you, but if you're not willing to repent of this sin, you can't be here. Until you're willing to humble yourself and seek forgiveness in Christ, you can't be here because this fellowship is sacred and you're poisoning what God is doing here if you're not willing to repent. You know why people don't do that? Here's the question that has to be answered. This is a perfect way to close. If you were told today You can't come back here until you repent of your sin. We love you too much. We love Jesus and the church too much to allow this to continue. If that were the case, would you miss it? Would you miss it? Would you miss the church? Would there be something in your life that was a void, that was not filled? You know how often I ask myself that question? Since March 15th of 2020? You remember what happened that day? I do. March 22nd of 2020, we didn't meet in this building. March 29th of 2020... We were in the parking lot for the next several months. And when we came back and we tried to get back to normal, here's what I discovered. Far too many people I, I care about, far too many didn't miss it. Because they're not here. In a few months, it'll be three years since that began. And there's some who are not here. 
and haven't been here. And I wonder if they really miss it. Evidence would say maybe not. And that breaks my heart. Because when I look at folks and I think the church is such a vital part of who they are, and then something happens, and the next thing you know, you look around and they're not here. And I'm just going to say this because it's true. If you're not here somewhat regularly now, you can use whatever excuse you want to use, but it's not COVID. It's something else. Something else has assumed a position on a throne that only belongs to Jesus. But something else has nudged its way in and taken over, taken priority over Jesus. And that is sad. It's sad. The church was instituted, founded on the blood of Christ. It means something. It it means a lot. And He deserves more than that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.